Her ladyship will be with you shortly, gentlemen. Please be seated. Indeed, my good man. My colleague, Dr. Watson, and I have no more pressing engagement than to discover the identity of Sir Arthur's killer. We were given to understand that it was natural causes, sir. Oh, you were, were you indeed? And who, might I ask, gave you such an erroneous piece of information? Uh, your aforementioned colleague, Dr. Watson, sir. I keep trying to tell you, Holmes, it was natural causes. Sir Arthur was 71. He had angina. Quite a severe case, I'm informed. Utter cobblers, Watson. I suggest that Sir Arthur was murdered to ensure his silence in a matter of international espionage. He had just returned from a tour of Holland and Scandinavia. Perhaps that mistress of disguise and deception, the woman, Irena Adler, is somewhere behind all this. He was surrounded by his family when he passed away, Holmes. No one had the opportunity to murder the poor man. The idea is ludicrous, Holmes. What more perfect alibi do you require, Watson? Disguised as a member of Sir Arthur's own dear kin, Perhaps the devilish Moriarty executed this cruel and cunning deception. Poison may have been introduced to Sir Arthur's medicinal draught. Poor Sir Arthur was exhausted after his tour, Holmes. He simply slipped gently away. There was no deception, no murder. And yet, Watson, and yet, only days ago I'm reliably informed that Sir Arthur rose from his bed quite unseen and headed for a rendezvous with a person or persons unknown in his very own garden. Do you dismiss the reports that state quite categorically that he was later found lying on the ground, his hand clutching his heart? Angina, Holmes. Poppycock, Watson. Actually, sir, it was a snowdrop. Elucidate further, man. It was not a poppy, nor a cock, but a single white snowdrop that he held in his hand, sir. How did you come by this extraordinary piece of information? It was I who found him, sir. And how did you know that it was indeed a snowdrop? I learned about such delicate blooms in my classes at school. What kind of school? Elementary, sir. Are you trying to be funny? Somebody has to, sir. Presenting Twistery Tales. The Richard Usher Comedy Podcast Assorted Audio Antics From Larynx Productions Written and performed By Richard Usher Welcome to my Twistery Tales for July I'm Richard Usher And in this comedy podcast You'll hear more unique recreations Of great and not so great Moments in history We opened this volume with the sad passing of a literary great, Sir Arthur Conan Doyle, who passed away at his home in East Sussex on the 7th of July, 1930. This legendary scribe of the crime and detective genre gave the world Holmes and Watson, and also did wonders for the trade in tweed and meerschaum pipes. Of course, the paragon of all detectives often referred to the giant rat of Sumatra, always in sinister tones. Speaking of rats... Let's leap forwards to the 22nd of July and backwards to 1376 and the legend of the Pied Piper of Hamelin. You ready, McTavish? Aye. Well, stand by. I think we're up after this clown. Look at the state of him. Big multicoloured outfit like that. How's that going to attract rats? 
I doubt that'd attract anyone. <laughs> Except maybe King Edward II called rest him. <laughs> Next on the Red Factor, we have Nicolas of Cologne. Now look at that. That tiny little whistle. Pathetic. And now look. He's just chucking bits of cheese about. Oh, desperate. We're up. Nicholas of Cologne. Very well done. Next, we have Ken McTavish and his Tartan Wonder. Oh no, I've sprung a leak. Do something. Such as? Chant something. There's a squeak like a rat. Ladies and gentlemen, we have something that will guarantee you'll be rat-free in minutes. Please give a warm welcome for our special guest with his latest poem, Anelida and Arcite, Mr. Geoffrey Chaucer. <laughs> The legendary tale of the Pied Piper, who led rats away from the German town of Hamlin in July 1376. Of course, the original story tells us how the Piper was hired as a rat catcher to clear an infestation using his magic pipe. It was when the citizens refused to pay him that the Piper took revenge and used his power on their children, leading them away never to be seen again. A bit harsh, he could have just gone to a small claims court, surely. Speaking of courts, well, the royal kind anyway, July is littered with bizarre incidents in the reign of King Henry VIII. The Tudor monarch was renowned for his mood swings and, of course, his many wives. There are so many moments featuring King Henry that I've decided to create something of a, a serialisation. The Madness of King Henry VIII in July Part 1, 1533. Oh, Catherine of Aragon? Catherine of Aragon, more like. <laughs> <laughs> Swanning around, all hoity-toity, stuffing her greasy face with paella and chips. <laughs> I mean, take my mother-in-law, Queen Isabella, to the tower. <laughs> listen, listen, all in a moment. Oh, yes, but here's a quick tune I've been working on. Oh, baby, baby, how was I supposed to know? Oh, I 
good day to you, my lord. Uh, uh, how is the king of this fine July day? Well, it is indeed July, a most questionable month in the king's calendar. Uh, indeed, my lord. Uh, his uh, noble majesty's mood uh, can change upon the uh, spinning of a gold sovereign in the uh, summer months. His mood doth seem merry at present, however. Not even two months have passed since his divorce from Queen Catherine, and yet King Henry is in bright spirits. His defeat of Roger of Switzerland in the real tennis championships hath served further to bolster his merry countenance. Uh, you bring news, sir. Uh, further cheer for good King Henry? Uh, that is uh, open to a question, my lord. Well, go forth, sir. His Majesty shall receive you. Your Majesty, uh, I bring news uh, from Rome. What? Speak, man, speak. Does that old jackass, Pope Clement, finally recognize my status as head of the church in England? <laughs> <laughs> Not exactly, Your Majesty. I I'm instructed to inform you, sire, that His Holiness Pope Clement VII uh, has, in point of fact, uh, uh, well, uh, he's uh, excommunicated you. What? That Medici jackanape! That Florentine halfwit! That illegitimate son of a pizza chef! grows a beard in full contravention of the canon laws and has the nerve to criticise me? I'm the king of sodding England, and if I want a divorce, I'll have one! <laughs> and that weirdy, weirdy, papal people-eating ponce cuts me off. I'll soon show him I'm going to grow an even better beard! <laughs> And henceforth, everyone shall grow beards, even the ladies. <laughs> Henry the hipster shall be my new moniker. <laughs> well, I'm uh, I'm relieved that your uh, Majesty took the news uh, so well. Indeed, sir. Indeed. Guards, take him to the tower. Ow. Drivers should be able to park on double yellow lines for up to 15 minutes in an effort to increase trade on the high street. That's according to proposals from the Hopelessness Secretary, Derek Branston. So, Derek, what precipitated this new direction? <laughs> well, if you must know, Harvey, it came to me in a flash when I popped out to my local bakery for a sticky finger. <laughs> I had to walk miles from the car park and I was pagged by the time I got to the back of the queue. <laughs> I thought to myself, this just isn't done. And I reckon 15 minutes is about all I need to grab me some yum-yums. Then uh, someone pointed out that we'd have to play fair and extend the same courtesy to uh, all and sundry. So 
How will it work in practice? <laughs> well, as I say, we're going to give people a bit of leeway to grab their baps or pop in for a ticket to the idiot tax at, at, at lottery. A grace period without being pestered by traffic wardens. They're a chuffing nuisance. It's these high fines that's putting folks off using their high streets. So trade has been shrinking noticeably. Quite unlike yourself. You what? So this will, in a sense, be a 15-minute free-for-all. Uh, that's going to be rather difficult to police, isn't it? Not at all. Only a nimby-namby would think that. We'll install new CCTV that'll watch the cars. And once the grace period is up... Attention, uh, the owner of the green Ford Fiesta outside the betting shop. Your grace period is now up. For what you are about to receive, a check is duty payable, and we, the council, are mighty grateful. Have a nice day. From the 16th century reign of Henry VIII to more recent times, and the 29th of July 2013. The BBC News reported that drivers in England could be given a grace period to pick up their shopping or leave their cars in parking bays for a bit longer without being fined. There was a lot of political debate about the idea, and the president of the motoring organisation, the AA, weighed into the argument by describing the idea as confused thinking. Politics and confused thinking? Goes with the territory, surely. Now, one man who often has a lot on his mind and gets confused about such things is that master of mirth, Ben Bernard. Blog off, Ben Bernard. Snack smuggling. Oh, uh, hello. Uh, you've caught me mid-show in a theatre bar. I'm not performing, no, no, no. <laughs> I, d I don't go to the theatre very often, but uh, one of my student drivers had these two tickets going back in for uh, Brexit, the musical. Well, I'll, I'll watch out for free. <laughs> I I've brought Delia along for the evening. Uh, she's off in search of the ladies' toilets. Uh, we might well have left Europe by the time she gets back. It's, it's a bit of a surprise, a costly one at that, uh, when, when you find out that you can't take certain things into the theatre uh, for security reasons. Uh, I had my cheese sardis confiscated. Uh, they said they might contain plastic explosives. I guess the own brand cheesy slices do look a bit rubbery, but, but I told them the only exploding they do is once they've been through me guts. Aye, any road there. The security staff told us we, we could buy sandwiches at the cafe bar. A five by ten centimetre bit of bread with shriveled cucumber and a piece of ham so thin it's almost transparent is not worth the second mortgage we've had to take out to buy it. <laughs> oh yes, and they, they took me flask of tea off me too. That was in case it contained the ingredients of a dirty bomb. We've had to have a, a frapper happer dapper chino. They don't sell tea, as it's uh, apparently not hipster enough. Two coffees cost more than the chuffing flask, tea bags, milk, lecky to boil the water, and the petrol it took to drivers here. I know they're doing their best to keep us safe from all them mad wazzocks out there who want to threaten the innocent, and, and good on them. But uh, you have to draw the line somewhere. Well, since Delia's taken a liking to this going out to see a show lark, uh, I've come up with a cunning plan for the next trip. 
I'm going to leave the bag in the car and repurpose the hump that I was given to wear in a failed retelling of Richard III that my agent booked me for. I'll use it to secrete all the goodies that we need for an enjoyable theatre-going experience and, and assume a hunched position. I'll tell Delia I've got a touch of sciatica. And then we'll enter Checkpoint Charlie at the theatre doors. They'll be so careful not to offend a man with a hunched back that they'll never suspect I'm smuggling snacks. <laughs> Sorted. Snack Smuggling was written, performed, edited and produced by Richard Usher. Blog Off Ben Bernard is a Larynx production. <laughs> You're listening to Twistery Tales, the Richard Usher comedy podcast from Larynx Productions. Yes, indeed. Twistery Tales from the Richard Usher podcast. Now, the USA has long been a place for commercial enterprise and opportunity, so it kind of makes sense that they'd expand that philosophy to places further afield. Well, perhaps not as far as the moon, but stranger things have happened. Well, readings are all good here, Houston. Uh, the lunar rover is operating at full efficiency. Hey, let's pull over and stretch our legs. What do you say? History take on the day that two US astronauts went for their first drive on the moon on the 31st of July 1971. It was David Scott and James Irwin who drove their lunar rover vehicle across the surface of the famed space body. I've no doubt that Jeremy Clarkson is planning a similar adventure. Which reminds me, time for more Henry VIII. The Madness of King Henry VIII in July, Part 2, 1535. Ah, splendid, splendid, all the news right up to date. Now, where's that dratted starling gone? Hold still, you pesky avian hooligan! Uh, good morning, my Lord Secretary of the Media de Seychal. How goes the day with well, my dear Lord Chamberlain, it would be going a lot better if I could just attach this message to the carrying device on yonder starling. And uh, what, praise the nature of this message? It is the latest tweet, sir. 
Uh, updates from the court circular, news from the royal palaces, etc. I assume, my lord, that you remain amenable to making the odd edits here and there prior to disseminating the information. Oh, absolutely, sir. We endeavor through our labors to ensure that the digest is up to the latest shadow that falleth as twelve upon the sundial. Uh, only last month, uh, we were ready to tweet via Godfrey here and his flock of starlings uh, when a sudden uh, outbreak of the pox in Jetford uh, necessitated the late inclusion of advice from the chief surgeon not to exceed uh, one uh, boiled egg per day, uh, to drink uh, less water, and uh, thus imbibe more mead and uh, ale. <laughs> Why do you ask, sir? Uh, well, it is July, and uh, you know what happens in July. Indeed, my Lord Chamberlain, indeed. And fear not, the results of the real tennis championships at Hampton Court have been fully recorded, and in His Majesty's favour. Uh, most fortunate, my Lord. A knight in the stocks for Lord Murray uh, soon cured him of his overzealous desire to claim victory. But I reiterate, my lord, that it is July. You know what happens in July. His Majesty can be prone to those little changes of mood that so endear him to his subjects. Ah, yes, I had quite forgotten about that. Dare one ask? I, I mean to say, sir, we, we have included all of the latest gossip regarding good Sir Thomas More, uh, how he has been placed on trial and awaits his fate in the Tower. Uh, extremely popular with the subjects, this story. Literally thousands of likes were tarried and uh, pigeons flying hither and thither to retweet the various turns of event. Yes, indeed, even the humblest Norfolk illiterate appears to register an appreciation upon hearing about the aftermath of Sir Thomas More's refusal to attend the coronation of our Queen Anne Boleyn, and then, of course, being charged with bribery and his period of silence regarding the oath of allegiance to the Parliamentary Act of Succession, uh, of course, uh, the presence, the length and breadth of our great land uh, know the result of his uh, holding fast to his refusal to public uh, uphold King Henry's annulment from Catherine. Uh, uh, trial of the century, some are calling it. The century is young, my lord. Uh, is there room enough on the vellum uh, to record the latest news? I fear Sir Thomas... Uh, is to be executed. Uh, he faces the axe. Mm, most assuredly a headline, sir. Uh, I believe that I can find room to record this. And uh, how will you record this uh, breaking news, my lord? Well, uh, see for yourself, sir. Hashtag latest news. At Sir Thomas More, soon to be at Sir Thomas Less. Hashtag lol. Hashtag LMHO. Uh, lopped Moore's head off. Hmm. <laughs>
Stay tuned, streamed, or whatever the appropriate phrase is for more Henry Tudor nonsense. Meanwhile, we take a trip back to the 24th of July 1851 and the day that the window tax was abolished in Britain. You know about the window tax. If you've ever seen one of those old properties with bricked up windows, that's all down to King William III. He levied a property tax based on the number of windows in a house and it was in place in England, France and Scotland during the 18th and 19th centuries. Oh, there we are, madam. The final brick is in place. That'll certainly keep the draught out better than that old glass nonsense. Money saved in both cases, Mr. Mason. Splendid work. Madam, madam, an urgent news. What is it, Hives? Why so animated? We have just received word, madam, that the window tax has been abolished. Mr. Mason's work is all for naught, I fear. You mean I can have an extra window after all? Dear me, how will I air the room now? Never fear, your ladyship. I anticipated such an eventuality. I retained... Blimey. Rain. You can still get this old window open. Oh, hey, voila. Oh, that's marvellous. Is it not, Hyde? Indeed, madam. Mr. Mason has saved the day with his ingenuity and agile mind. However... Yes? Uh, whilst they have abolished the window tax, they have now levied a spare bedroom tax. Will that be uh, brick or stone for the door, your ladyship? The abolition of the window tax. Not the best idea in the world. A good job that somebody saw through it eventually. Uh, now, if you haven't glazed over just yet, <clears throat> uh, time to return to Tudor, England. The Madness of King Henry VIII in July. Part 3. 1540. I really do not understand it. The king hath not replied to any of my recent missives, most unlike his majesty. One would surmise that the Lord Great Chamberlain would be in favour with King Henry. Did I not expedite the annulment of the king's marriage to Queen Catherine of Aragon, so that his majesty could lawfully marry the late Queen Anne Boleyn? Did I not also arrange the admirable match with Queen Anne of Cleves, and support his majesty in his efforts for reformation of the church in England. It is true that uh, annulment took place no fewer than 19 days ago, but uh, still... Oh, pardon me, my lord. Oh, I didn't see you there. Just emptying out my spittoon. I will speak to this fellow. Uh, whose grave is this, sirrah? Uh, mine, sir. 
I think it be thine indeed, uh, for thou liest in it. Cool. You sound just like my goodly neighbour, old Bill Shagspuke. He doesn't make no sense neither. I'll speak to him in like tongue. Indeed, sir. For my part, I do not lie in it, yet it is mine. Uh, what man dost thou dig it for? For no man, sir. Uh, what woman, then? For none, neither. Gosh, that's a riddle and a half. It's not that uh, Yorick LaRue from the playhouse, is it? Uh, careful, your lordship. You're on shaky ground there in more ways than one. Uh, look here, my man. Let's cut the pseudo-bardic nonsense and speak plainly. Uh, for whom do you dig this grave if not for a man nor a woman? Well, our noble king, obviously. Huh. Our great sovereign is above such things as gender. Of course... King Henry won't be getting the use out of it on account of being in the very best of health. God bless it, uh, uh, her, uh, uh, her, her royal regal thingy. Uh. Okay, okay, I get it. But do you know for whom this last resting place is intended? Oh, yes, the Lord Great Chamberlain, Chancellor to King Henry VIII, Star of Friends, Friend of the Stars, Thomas Cromwell. Lighted Putney High Road. Oh, my word. Woe is me. Disaster, betrayal, a pestilence on him for a mad rogue. I think that's my line. I am undone. I feel the drapes of death draw closed around me. Hang on a minute. If I read this situation correctly, am I to understand that you are Sir Thomas Cromwell? Soon to be the occupant of this here plot. Tis I, the same poor damned wretch you see before you. Uh, well, that's a stroke of luck and no mistake. No one sent me any measurements. Being as how it was all arranged so quick. Go on, up in, sir. Try it for size. <laughs> listening to the Richard Usher podcast, or as we've rechristened it, Twistery Tales. Now from the madness of Henry Tudor to the political shenanigans of the 18th century and the madness of King George III when he dismissed Prime Minister Lord Grenville on the 16th of July in 1765. The poor old PM was replaced by a certain Lord Rockingham. Oh dear, oh dear, oh dear. Well, that's it then. Dismissed. Ah. Let go, dispensed with. I am now an ex-Prime Minister. <laughs> oh, that's not good, man. Poor Grenville. His Majesty finally had enough. He claims I am isolating Great Britain on the international stage. There I was, trying my best, scratching around to restore the country's finances. The, the, the Stamp Act caused ructions and riots, and my taxation stance on cider turned everything sour. And so you're my replacement, are you? Watson Wentworth, is it not? Second something or other of Rockingham? Lord Rockingham will do. Rockingham by name, Rockingham by nature. Goodness me, my chair is hardly empty and you're cluttering up the cabinet already, I see. Reshuffle, man, reshuffle. 
allow me to introduce the new cabinet. On drums, the Lord Chancellor, the Earl of Northington. On bass, Chancellor of the Exchequer, William Downswell. Kicking it on lead guitar is Minister with that portfolio, but plenty of rock, the Duke of Cumberland. On trumpet, yours truly. Poor old Lord Grenville. His unpopular stamp act and approach to international relations finally did for the poor chap. And from July of 1765, we travel to the roaring 1940s and the renaming of a British wartime institution. Ah, Wilson, uh, come in, come in. Uh, there's been a delivery, sir. I believe those um, new uniforms have finally arrived. Splendid news, Wilson. At long last, the men will have proper kits to wear. Look, Wilson, uh, Barbara's in sick there, what? Uh, the, the local defence volunteers brigade. Uh, line of Nuricorn, uh, the uh, town coat of arms is uh, positioned perfectly over, over the crowd of England. Well, sir, it's very impressive, but uh, it must have cost an awful lot of money. Are you sure? I, I need to say, sir, will the um, expense be justified? Such nonsense, Wilson. Uh, of course the expense can be justified. Uh, not just the uniform, you know. Uh, every piece of stationery, uh, every vehicle, uh, every single piece of equipment will uh, carry the LDV logo, uh, displayed proudly. A thousand pounds well spent, Wilson. Ah, the news. Uh, well, uh, turn up the uh, wireless set, would you please, Wilson? Certainly, sir. This is London. The Prime Minister, Winston Churchill, has announced that the local defence volunteers, that million-strong movement of brave men and women across the United Kingdom, would henceforth be renamed as the Home Guard. Do you know anyone good with embroidery, Wilson? The Madness of King Henry VIII in July Part 4 1543. My beloved Lady Latimer, Catherine, does my palace here at Hampton Court please thee? I had heard rumours that Hampton was huge. <laughs> you cheeky little wench! <laughs> My lady, I realise we've only known each other for nine minutes, but I feel a strange universal power drawing us together. <laughs> Must be the power of three I've heard the philosophers speak of. That or the plentiful banquets increasing Your Majesty's waistline. Oh, you are wicked of tongue, my lady. <laughs> You've heard. Such scurrilous gossip, your majesty. It must be the power of three, as you rightly suggest. It would honour me greatly if you would consent to be my sixth wife. <laughs> 
Omnitrium perfectum, <laughs> your majesty. Will you consent to be my third husband? <laughs> I will. Here, try this on for size. A wedding dress. It is a little, um, well, used. Only worn five times. The, um, neckline is a little uh, low. Pays to be prepared. And that brings us to the close of this edition of Twistery Tales. There were so many events that we could have mentioned. How Oliver Cromwell crushed the Royalists at the Battle of Marston Moor, the alleged alien object that crashed to Earth at Roswell in 1947, and the end of food rationing in Great Britain almost nine years after the end of World War II. Well, perhaps another time. Join me again for more Twistery Tales for August. Until then, cheerio! You have been enduring Twistery Tales, the award-avoiding Richard Usher comedy podcast. Written, performed, edited and produced by Richard Usher. Jazz comedy theme courtesy of bensound.com. The Ben Bernard theme composed by John Ryan. Twistery Tales, the Richard Usher comedy podcast is a larynx production. Have a bit of a groove. Ah. We're gonna we're gonna reminisce for a little while, ladies and gentlemen, about somewhere very special. Ah. Somewhere very close to my heart. Hey. This fella's good, isn't he? Aye. No fret on that fretboard, eh? Hey. Here we go. Ready, lads. Hey. <laughs> Between the amusement arcades, I call your name. Behind the seafront walls, I used to go. <laughs> Upon the summer wind, there's a certain little smell. Takes me back to the place. That I know Cleethorpe's Beach <laughs> Cleethorpe's Beach Oh, it's grand <laughs> There he is Ooh, Lovely sand Delicious ice cream <laughs> The winnings from the bingo I will keep <laughs> The sands and grind will blow on your magazine <laughs> No one but you and I Underneath that overcast sky Take me back <laughs> to the place That I know 
Claythor's page. Ah, Claythor's page. Oh, there's nowhere finer. Many a time I've had a tan there, I can tell you. The Claythor's beach. Ah, he's building up his part, isn't he? Come on now, lad. Oh dear me, he's got into a jazz riff. Oh, come on now, I haven't got all night, you know. I'm not here for the good of me health. Well, well I am, but... Uh, and and the booking fee, of course. Negotiable. The where uh, in my dreams, my heart will be. Hanging on to this sweet memory. <laughs> a day of strange attire. And a rash that burned like fire. Take me back to the place that I know. Hey, Claythorpe's Beach. Ah, it's grand. Where is it? Claythorpe's Beach. Ah, you walk down the prom any day of the week. A spring in your step. A glow in your heart. Claythorpe's Beach. I think we're on the fade out now. I've no idea where he's going. Up and I'll see you down the Windsor Gardens one day, ladies and gentlemen. You take it easy now. Keep your nose to the sky. Ooh.